you know, the men's movements of the of the 90s, which which really was when men's movements were in their heyday. Right. Think Promise Keepers, big stadiums, million man march on Washington, things of that mm-hmm. nature. Um, the goal was to call men out like the enemy was passivity. Right. So you had a generation of men that had a model, had an example. They weren't being men. So um, it was to call them out of passivity and call them to God's design. Well, today we've transcended beyond passivity and we're in this space of ignorance. Hmm. It's not that we have a generation of, of men that don't want to be good men. They just don't know how. Chris Harper is with me today. Now, Chris, you actually prefer to go by Harp, so that's that's what I'll be referring to you as uh, as we <laughs> do this conversation. But but welcome on to the podcast. Oh, it's so glad, um, so good to be here um, and be with you and sharing today. And and yeah, Harp is great. I feel like uh, I feel like you and I go way back, so that's that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, uh, I'm excited about our conversation today because we're going to be talking about biblical manhood, biblical masculinity. And this subject of masculinity is something that's very much front and center in our cultural conversation today. So it's not just something that we're going to talk about from a biblical point of view, but we're talking about something that's very relevant in our society and in our culture today. You are actually the CEO of Better Man. And so I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself and about Better Man Ministry, what that's all about. But I loved in when you sent me oh, sent over your bio to me. You, you described yourself as a teacher, a writer, a disciple maker, and yeah. CEO of Better Man. So I love the order of that, and uh, <laughs> you know the fact that you see yourself as a disciple maker is is right right in line with what we're trying to do here with Into the Harvest. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, where you're at, and and Better Man. Absolutely, and and really that's my first ministry. So. Uh, if you come to the Better Man offices and, and ask how the ministry is going, um, they're going to tell you about their family first, mm. um, how they're uh, leading their wives and, and how they're leading their children and serving in their local church. And um, so the first ministry is is my family. I have a beautiful wife. We've been married for 15 years. We have four children, all under the age of 12. So I haven't slept in about five years. It's... <laughs> 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 my oldest is 12 and my youngest is three. And, um, yeah, we enjoy life here in Texas and, uh, uh, yeah, belong to, uh, belong to a local church where we serve and, and, um, get to minister to the saints and just, uh, super encouraged by that. So now we're, I, uh, let folks know this is coming out about a week after we're recording right now. You're, you're braving an Arctic blast there in uh, your part of the country. So how are you holding up with the, uh, with the weather? <laughs> That's right. It's, uh, it was all of 15 degrees here in Texas today, which for us, we might as well be at the North Pole when it hits, when it hits 15. So, <laughs> yeah, <are laughs> but, you, but we're good. Are you getting any snow to go with it or is it just cold weather? We got what we call snow, but I think the, I think the average person would call it uh, a light dusting. <laughs> <laughs> Well, tell us about Better Man. Uh, this is a ministry that you help lead, but it's it's got a great leadership team that goes beyond yourself. But 
yeah, talk to us about that ministry and, and what the purpose is. Absolutely. It has a great history. Um, so Better Man actually started as men's fraternity about 30 years ago. So what was men's fraternity in the late 90s, early 2000s? You know, men's fraternity was um, a video series, uh, you know, lo- long before Rob Bell and the NUMA series that churches were doing. And um, so it was a men's uh, discipleship curriculum that that tens of thousands of churches, not just in the West, but all over the country, all over the world were um, using. Uh, it became... Authentic Manhood and the 33 series, kind of in the mid-2010, uh, 2012. Um, our founder, Robert Lewis, wrote a super popular book, How to Raise a Modern Day Knight, mm. um, which which still sells today. And then in 2018, it reiterated to Better Man. And uh, that's when we basically redesigned everything, scrubbed everything, and rewrote everything geared towards millennials, Gen Z, and Gen Alpha. That's that's really who we're running after. And it's all centered around small group discipleship, uh, gender based. So it is for men and then multi-generational. Um, it really is for for older men, more mature men uh, to walk through life with with younger men. And uh, it's been spectacular. We've 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 had about three thousand churches adopted in the last couple of years. We've probably had half a million men go through it. Uh, we're in 76 different countries, and uh, it's all about giving men a definition. We, we have a saying at, in, in our office, you can't become what you can't define. Mm. And um, three generations ago, men were super confident in what it meant to be God's men. Uh, two generations ago, they began to compromise, mm. and then today they're just confused. Uh, you line up 100 men and, and ask them what it means to be a man, a real man, God's man, and you're going to get 100 different answers. Yeah, And unfortunately, if we line up 100 pastors and ask them the same thing, you'll get 50 different answers. And the other 50 are kind of afraid to answer because it could be politically incorrect. Right. Um, so so what we do is is we bring a very biblical, theologically accurate, super practical definition of what it means to be God's man. <laughs> I love it, man. A, a, a lot of our listeners might be familiar with the documentary that came out a year or so back on, you know, called What is a Woman? Yeah. And I think we could basically ask the same question, what is a man? Maybe from a different point, but the idea of masculinity, what it truly means to be a man. And what's interesting is that I think there are voices that have that have come into this void into this confusion that we have as modern day men, and especially that the younger generation, you know, I've got my three sons are, you know, 25, 22, and 17. And so they're right in that wheelhouse of the generation that you all are trying to reach. And you're right, it's, it's, you know, for those folks, for my kids, like, it's hard for me, I'm 50. I can remember back to a time where, you know, perhaps perhaps masculinity was being compromised and especially biblical, uh, the concept of biblical manliness and, and manhood, but there was still the authentic version that was visible. You know, you could, you could yeah. look at certain models for me growing up. Um, you know, my dad was the, the prototype, like he was the archetype mm-hmm. in terms of what it meant to be a man. And I didn't realize it at the time, uh, because you don't choose your dad. But, you know, I had, I had a great dad. And even now, he, he passed away back in 2012. But mm. he's still a huge guiding force in my life when it comes to 
what kind of father do I want to be? What kind of husband? What kind of man do I want to be in this world? But this younger generation, they kind of only have the confusion. So, so tell us a little bit more about what is this biblical theological definition of manhood that you're trying to help this new generation clarify and live out? Yeah. And Andrew, you, you hit it on the head with your statement earlier. You know, the men's movements of the, of the 90s, which, which really was when men's movements were in their heyday, right? Think Promise Keepers, big stadiums, Million Man March on Washington, things of that mm-hmm. nature. Um, the goal was to call men out. Like the enemy was passivity, right? So you had a generation of men that had a model, had an example. They weren't being men. So um, it was to call them out of passivity and call them to God's design. Well, today we've transcended beyond passivity and we're in this space of ignorance, it's not that we have a generation of, of men that don't want to be good men. They just don't know how. They don't have a path forward. And that's why, you know, you mentioned your three sons. That's why men like Jordan Peterson and Andrew Tate are so popular with young men today. They have millions of young men that follow them simply because they're giving them a path. Hmm. Now, whether that's the right path or the wrong path or an indifferent path, they are offering them a path. And, and because men are pathless, they, they're, they're flocking to men like Andrew Tate and Jordan Peterson. So what Better Man does is, is we offer a path. It's just, it's just an ancient path. We didn't invent anything. We didn't, you know, uh, redefine anything. We're just reclaiming God's design for, for biblical manhood. And we call it the four W's. It's very simple, super sticky. And it's a real man courageously follows God's word. That's the first W word. Um, A real man loves and serves and protects God's woman, whether that's, you know, his mother, his fiance, his sister, his wife. Uh, He's a protector. Uh, Thirdly, a real man excels at the work God has given him. And and we completely tear down the sacred secular divide. Uh, We don't care if you're a megachurch pastor or a missionary or if you're a plumber or an electrician. If if, if you do your job to the glory of the Lord, it's a holy work. You're doing a holy work. And then lastly, a real man betters God's world. And he does that through his children, his church, and his community. So word, woman, work, world. And when we hand men these four W's, when we hand them that definition, man, it's a game changer. Yeah, I love that. And it, like you said, it's very easy to hang on to. And even that, that fourth C, you know, in, or sorry, sorry, that first, that fourth W with, you know, transforming the world, being part of God's call to, to steward and transform yeah. the world. You know, you've got the three C's in there, which I love, you know, community, church and children. So, yeah, and actually when we teach that, we add two more. So we teach that over five weeks. Um, and it actually starts with your character. So you better God's world through your character, mm. through your children, through your church, through your community. And then the last one is how you conclude, how you finish life. Mm. Um, you speak volumes, uh, how you finish your race. That speaks volumes to the world around you. Yeah. T- tell me a little bit more about that. When you guys are presenting that, what are some of the highlights in terms of conclusion, h- how you conclude? Absolutely. So think about... Um, you know, specifically what Paul says, right? Uh, I've kept the faith. I finished the race. Um, he said, I long for Christ appearing like he longs to be with Christ. Mm. Uh, the Greek word there is actually crave. He, he craves King Jesus to return. Mm. 
Mm. And, and so, so think about how do you live in such a way that you crave Jesus to come back? Well, you do that by fighting the good fight and running the race. Mm. Um, there's a lot of people today, they have what I call a Kenny Chesney theology, um, they all want to go to heaven. They just don't want to go right now <laughs> because, because this world is pretty comfortable. Mm. And, um, and it's a sign of not being in the fight. Ask, ask any soldier who's ever went and fought a foreign conflict, what's the one thing you want? And he'll tell you it's to come home. It's mm. to be home. And, and us men, the Bible is clear. We are aliens. We are strangers. We are foreigners in a foreign land. Right. And, and as we're pushing back against the prince and principalities, as we're fighting against sin, as we're as we're trying to bring good about in the world, we should be exhausted hmm. like like we should crave for Jesus to come back. But there's a there's a lot of men, especially older men, hmm. because they haven't ran that race very well and they haven't been fighting the good fight. Man, they're not exhausted. They're actually scared to die and go be with Jesus because they don't. They're just not comfortable with that. And that's largely because they haven't laid hold of heaven here on earth yet. Wow, man, that is that is deep, brother. I mean, it really is. And, and you know, this is um, I think even those those phrases that Paul used about fighting a good fight. And, you know, of course, he's writing it at the like you said, at the very end of his life and, right. and finishing the race. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm someone who likes to run and I've, I've done a lot of longer runs, you know, marathons, ultra marathons. And you're right. You know, when you're in the race now, I, my, my younger son, I've tried to get him into running. He, he doesn't want to do it. And I try to tell him like, I love it. Like there, if you can get to a place where you love running, um, there's joy in the actual run, but it's also, it's also exhausting. It's also fatiguing. And especially if you're doing a longer race, um, you know, you really are looking forward to the, the finish line. You know, you're, 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 you're counting down the miles as you're moving towards that. So that's just a great visual that Paul gives us that, that you are uh, highlighting for us there. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, think about that. So scripture is clear. Andrew and Chris, we, we are new creations in Christ. We are. Mm-hmm. Uh, Romans says it. But right. Romans also says that the old man of death is still there. Yes. Like that, that old man still wants to pull us back into our old way of life. Right. Right. So every day, Chris has to wake up and Andrew has to wake up and we have to drown the old man of death. The problem is he's a really good swimmer. <laughs> and, and, that's, and, and, and that should be exhausting. But it's but to your point, mm-hmm. Andrew, it's a good exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Like you learn to love to run the race and it's a good exhaustion, right? Um, um, I go to bed at night thinking, man, you know, I'm exhausted. Why? Because because I've been loving my wife well and I've been discipling my children and I've been fighting against sin and I've been trying to tell people about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like I can go to sleep at night uh, and, and reflect on the day and think, man, I lived the day well today. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of men and there's not a lot of older men that can do that. Yeah, they can do that. One of the things that I'm I'm hearing you say just in the context of this conversation is that a big part of defining biblical manhood is rooting it in the mission that God has given us. You can't just define manhood in a vacuum. Uh, Biblical manhood is actually based in this call that God has given us to live out a certain life in the real world. And that may be what a lot of young men are missing is just the, the larger story and narrative that 
the Bible presents us with in terms of what the world was designed to be and who we as humanity were designed to be. Absolutely. Think about the narrative that most young men hear today. First, uh, they hear that it's all about them. I mean, that's what social media promotes. That's what television and music promotes, that, that it's all about you. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, it's a, it's a culture that tells you essentially that, that you're God, mm. right? So you get, to de- you get to define truth. You get to define your gender. You get to define who you'll, who you'll marry. You get to define the way you live. And what they're doing is that they, they tell young men that they have all the prerogative of God, without the real power of God. Hmm. And, and, and what happens is um, they get to this place where they realize, wait a minute, like I'm not omnipresent and all powerful and all, and all knowing. Like, and, it, and then they get depressed, which is why suicide rates are at an all-time high. Um, young men are killing themselves um, in, in, in mass proportion. And, mm. and I really think that stems from a society telling people they're God, but then that society realizing, wait a minute, I don't have any of the privileges and the power of God. Mm. It's like putting an unbearable weight on somebody, and we're seeing the effects of that today. And, you know, even if it's not at that extreme in terms of the, the, the crisis of existence where, where people are just throwing in the towel, I think for sure there's just a general... Uh, malaise, that there's a directionlessness, there's a, a lack of, of purpose and, and drive. And I think it's because as men, we are designed to engage, to, right. to, to fight. You know, I, 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 think, um, I think there is something when you go back to Genesis 1 through 3, and you read about how we're made in the image of God. And then the first command that God gives humanity coming out of that statement of being made in his image is to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And in my own reflection on that, that command, I really see three primary things that God is calling us to, and that is to, to be fruitful and multiply. So that's one is just to increase, um, to overcome, um, and then to have dominion, to, to rule. Mm. So be, be fruitful, multiply, uh, subdue the earth, and to rule. So you got those three things that we, we want to be, we want to increase, we want to overcome, we want to rule. And those, I believe, are rooted in our design. Absolutely. Because, so, so God does those things. God is a creative God. Uh, and he made us in his image, so we have a desire to create and to procreate. Um, God is an overcomer. You know, he's the one who conquers sin and death. Um, we have a desire to overcome. And then, you know, God is a rule. He's a ruler and he's called us to, to have dominion underneath his rule. But when you lose the narrative, you still have those drives. You still have those desires, whether you believe in God or not, you have the desire to live those things out. And a lot of what we're seeing, I think is, people trying to live out those innate desires, but doing it in ways that don't lead to life, don't lead to fulfillment. And in many cases actually lead to destructive behaviors and a a broken world that we all experience. Yeah, Andrew, that's so insightful. So good. Um, God's design is there, you know, um, his, his nishma, right? He breathed life into us. 
and then and then sin of course distorts that and and tries to ruin that but but you're right it it is still there so so what we see happening um and i call this um kind of the initiation right there's there's three or four types of men you'll see in the world today Hmm. one is the uninitiated man and and that's the guy that's basically slow quit his manhood and masculinity He's slow quit that design. He's thrown the towel in, right? And you typically see him, he's usually six to seven feet behind his wife, walking with his head down. He doesn't think for himself. He doesn't speak for himself. He doesn't stand for anything, right? He's just uninitiated. Hmm. Um, the second type of man you'll see is what we call the initi- the self-initiated man. And this is a guy that's, that's taken hold of that innate design, but in all the wrong ways, right? Mm. So um, he's going he's gonna to take the hill and he's going to destroy what's ever in front of him. It doesn't matter. He's going for it. He's self-initiated. This is the, the you know, David Goggins of the world. Right. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and you know, go be a victor. And uh, it usually expresses itself in unhealthy sex and, and unhealthy friendships and, and wanting to be applauded and narcissism, right? The mm. self-initiated man. Mm. And then you have the the peer initiated man Hmm. and this is the guy that's like again made in the image of god we're made for community so he's tasted some sense of brotherhood but but it manifests itself um in negative ways so this is the guy that like is 60 but still acts like he's a part of a fraternity Hmm. right still acts like he lives in a frat house still acts like he's a frat boy i call it instead of iron sharpening iron i call it two butter knives rubbing up against one another right so they just like they live in this extended adolescence and again you can see this you can you can see the the uninitiated the self-initiated the peer initiated right Hmm. and and what we're looking for what we're trying to produce is what i call the spirit initiated man this is this is the Caleb's right who who after 40 years in the wilderness comes back to Joshua and says, listen, I'm twice as old, but the Lord has made me just as strong. Give me the land. Let me take the land. He promised me. Right. And still wants to go out and live and glorify the Lord, the spirit initiated man. Well, we're going to wrap up our conversation with talking about how you guys are going about helping develop and and call call into existence those spirit-initiated men. But I think before we dive into that, let's share a little bit about what's at stake. I know when, when I've heard you share in the past, you've talked, whether it's stats or stories, um, what is it that we're losing in the church and in our culture by not having these spirit-initiated men living out biblical manhood? Yeah. Yeah. We're losing everything. And that's that's not an exaggeration. I was just with um, leaders from the Georgia Baptist Convention a few weeks back, and I told the story of me at 10 years old. Every Wednesday night, um, that Baptist school bus would come pick me up and take me to Children's Church every Wednesday night. And every Wednesday night, I'd go to the back of that bus and look out the window at my dad sitting in the garage drinking beer. And what I've come to realize 30 years later is we were going after the wrong man the whole time. We Hmm. should have been going after that man in the garage. Hmm. Um, You reach that man in the garage and my life changes. My life changes, right? And and because, because, and we don't have to get into this in much detail, but because of the church growth movement of the 70s and 80s, 
that specifically told church leaders, if you want to grow your church, cater to children and women, which is basically how every mega church came to exist that's in America today. They, they, they took a bend towards children's ministry and, and women's ministry. They catered toward children and women. Men were basically um, pushed aside. Men became unimportant. So in the church today, you see it. The average church is, you know, 65% female, 35% male, uh, 360,000 churches in America, less than, less than 7% have a functioning men's ministry. Um, every Sunday morning, 25 million married women will worship without their husbands. I mean, I mean, we're seeing it. And, mm-hmm. and we won the children, we won the women, but where did that get us? I mean, right. think about that. Fatherlessness in, in society is at an all-time high. Um, cohabitation. We now, for the first time in the history of histories, there are more unmarried people living together than married people living together. Think about that. Hmm. More single people than married people. Like cohabitation is shot through the roof. There's not a value on marriage anymore. And marriage is a great indicator of societal health because with marriage typically comes responsibility. With marriage typically becomes, you know, you become more productive in society. So if I'm a if I'm a 23 year old male and I have no interest in getting married, it's okay to just play video games all day and live in my parents' basement. Like, like there's nothing wrong with that. Like, so so what we're seeing is the is is now the the effects of that, and and I think it's just the tip of the iceberg. I think um, this is like this is like secondhand smoke in the 70s. Like everybody thought smoking in the 60s and 70s was cool. I mean, you could smoke on an airplane. I mean, right. <laughs> how crazy is that, right? And, and then 30, 40 years later, we began to discover not only is smoking terrible, but secondhand smoke is, is, is a killer. So I think this, um, I call this the secondhand smoke of today. Like the, the, the lack of, of men engaging in the church, engaging in society, the lack of, of men leading and being present in the home, what we've experienced over the last 30, 40 years, the secondhand smoke of that is going to be telling in the next 30 or 40 years. <laughs> yeah, that is, that's heavy, um, truly. And I think we're already seeing it, but it's scary to think what might be coming, uh, what might yet be to come. Um, but yeah, this idea of, of, of being God's men, of being these spirit-initiated men, on the flip side, it's, it's very appealing. I know it's appealing to me, and I think a lot of men will find it appealing because really what is at stake is the future of our communities, the future of our children. And sometimes, you know, when you're, you're just living the, the daily grind, you know, you talked about going to bed exhausted because you've tried to, to live in obedience to Christ and, and tried to be the, the husband and the father. But that's often not sexy. You know, that's, you know, it's much, it's much sexier to, you know, follow David Goggins and hit the gym and, and try to develop, you know, muscles and all the things that the world puts out there are a lot, a lot glitzier. But if you really want to give your life to something that's going to to leave a legacy, you know, this is what yeah. I hear you, you talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and please hear me say there's, there's nothing wrong with going to the gym. I, I went to the gym <laughs> this morning, uh, Andrew, I bet you went for a run this morning. 
I and, didn't, uh, but I, I will later today. <laughs> you, you're challenging me. You're motivating me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And 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 I, man, I love I love you know to go play around the golf. Man, I'll go to a Dallas Mavericks game. Uh, right. uh, my son and I are big hockey fans. We love the Dallas Stars. So. Like, like we enjoy life. We're not, we're not monks, you know, or, or, or anything like that. But, but we also prioritize things, right? Um, so, I tell men all the time, g- sexy today is 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 hard work and make money, right? Mm. So that you can own a boat and a new truck and a bigger home and things of that nature. I remind men that that long after they've stopped working, long after they've retired or whatever. The only people that are going to remember those 60 and 70 hour work weeks, it's not going to be their employees. Their employees aren't going to call them 10 years later and say, hey, thanks for working 65 hours a week. That really meant a lot to us. Um, Your employer is not going to call you 10 years later and say, you know what? I was just sitting here thinking about your 70 hour weeks and I just wanted to say thanks. The only people that are going to remember you running hard 60, 70 hours a week for work and, and material things will be your, your wife and your children. They're going to remember all the dinners you missed, all the ball games you missed. They're the ones that are going to remember you working 60, 65, 70 hours a week chasing the things of the world. Mm. Um, uh, and which is typically when we talk about success today, whether it's David Goggins, whether it's Andrew Tate, um, whoever. Um, to be successful as a man means that you're earning more and more money year after year. Like, like that's what it means to be successful. And it's just not the case. Uh, it's certainly not the case in God's economy. Like in God's economy, faithfulness is above everything. Faithfulness. I'm not like when I'm looking for a man to mentor me. I'm not looking for the most success, successful guy. I'm not looking for the guy with the most money or the guy with the biggest church. Show me the guy that's been faithful to his wife for 40 years. That's who I want speaking into my life. Mm-hmm. Show me the guy that's been working for the same company diligently for 30 years, providing for his family. That's the guy I want speaking into my life. So so our our metric of success at Better Man is faithfulness. And faithfulness can only be measured over time. Mm-hmm. Right. We want you to start strong. We want you to finish strong. We want men to be faithful over the long haul. And they do that by adhering to the definition. I think it's true in our personal lives. I also think it's true in our communities and our churches. And so, you know, you talked about church growth and the big emphasis on that in the 90s and in, in the 2000s. But, you know, what's what is the long term assessment of how that's gone? You know, one stat that you gave, and I I can't remember it, so maybe I'm going to put you on the spot here, but you talked about the number of children who stay, who grow up in church, who stay in the faith. Uh, And, and the, it was like a huge disparity between, you know, children who went with their mom, even if their father, even if their parents were still married, but they went with their mom to church versus children who grew up in families where the dad was a man of faith. Absolutely. Yeah. Fathers leading spiritually, not just in the church, but in the home is, is, is key here. You know, and Andrew, you talked about this earlier. It was so good, brother. You talked about us being rulers, right? I call it the lowercase K, Hmm. right? We have the big case. We we have the uppercase (laughs) K, the King Jesus, right? Andrew, you and I are are lowercase K's, right? But we're still, we're still Kings. It was Martin Luther who said the home is a mini kingdom and dad is King of the home. 
mm-hmm. right? You and I, we are the prophet, priest, king of our home as we reflect Jesus to our family. Mm-hmm. So, so when dad is the one leading out spiritually in the home, um, 93% of the time, the rest of the family will, will come to faith and stay in their faith. Okay. When mom is the one leading out spiritually, it's 23% of the time. Mm. And when the child is the one to kind of come to faith first and, and lead out spiritually, it's less than 13% of the time the rest of the home will come to faith. Mm. So dad is key. And, and there's a researcher named Christian Smith out of Notre Dame. 20 years ago, he popularized a, a term called moralistic therapeutic deism, which is the largest religion in the church today. Um, he became famous for that. Most people don't know he did another study after that. And the name of the study was called Handing Down the Faith. So for, for, for years, he looked at religions and spirituality across the board. Everything from, you know, Protestant to Hindu. Mm. And, and he just traced, man, how, how is the faith transferred? Like, like, how does the faith get handed down to where it sticks, and it's so interesting, dude, but, but it's not because it's a part of God's design. <laughs> the thing, the two things that came from the study, it doesn't matter what the faith is. It doesn't matter if you're Muslim. It doesn't matter if you're Catholic. It doesn't matter if you're Baptist. The two things that were constant across the board is that if you want the faith to be handed down to the next generation and you want it to stick, the place that that happens is the living room. It happens mm-hmm. in the home. It doesn't happen the one hour a week at youth camp, right, or, or youth ministry. It happens in the home, and the and the main person where it where it's stickiest is is dad. It's dad in the living room handing down the faith. If you want to pay it, pass the faith along. Those are the two ingredients you've got to have. Those numbers are shocking. Yeah, just the the gap between. You know the 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 child-led um, spiritual spiritual home, the mother-led, and then the father-led. Just shocking. But on the other hand, again, we can go back to Genesis, and, and brother, we could get into some pretty controversial waters here. But you know, the original sin was Adam and Eve choosing to go against what God had prohibited and eating right. in, in eating the forbidden fruit. But the, I would argue that the initial mistake, not sin, but mistake, was that Eve spoke on behalf of Adam and Eve at the beginning sure. of Genesis 3. I'm sorry, at the beginning of, Gen- yeah, beginning of Genesis 3. So when the, when the serpent comes to Adam and Eve, it's very clear that he, he talks to the woman. Very clear in the text. And it's also clear later that Adam is with her mm-hmm. and he's, he's asking her to speak on behalf of humanity. He says, did God really say you? And in the Hebrew, that's the plural you that, that humans should not eat from any tree. Yeah. And so he's calling her to step into this, this role of ruler. Um, contrast that with God. When he shows up, it's very clear. He calls for the man. And he says, did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat from? And there the, the you is singular. Like he is, he's calling to Adam. Did you live out what I called you to do? And humanity, we're still paying the price for 
our first father's failure to live into that call to, to be the man that God called him to be and to, to represent and to lead God's people and his own family. So just sharing that thought about the original mistake in the garden, I think we're still living that out as, as men when we don't step up and live and rule in, in the way God designed it to be, in, in a benevolent way. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I kind of think about my upbringing. Um, you know, my mother was the spiritual giant in my home. And, and praise be to God, man, like, right. like I am who I am today because of her. But it doesn't mean that that was God's best. You know, my mother did that because my father abdicated his responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, he abdicated his role. And, and my mom had to step into that. And again, praise God that she did. But it doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it best. And because of such, there's been barriers and obstacles in my life that I've had to overcome because of my father's spiritual, emotional, and even physical negligence, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's, what, that's what a lot of men, I want you to think about this, 41% of all young men today are born into fatherless homes, 41%. And that's just those who are, who are physically orphaned. That doesn't include what I call the functionally orphaned. And that's the young man living in a home where his dad's working 60, 70, 80 hours a week and he's never home, right? So I would, I would be willing to bet that 41% goes to 60, 70% when you start to include the functionally orphaned. Hmm. And they don't have anybody showing them um, a, a, good way, a good way forward. <clears throat> yeah, and just to reaffirm what you're saying there, this is not to blame women in any case. This is, hey, men, we need to step into the role that God has created us for. A lot is at stake. So let's talk about turning the tide, which is really at the heart of your ministry and Better Man. What what would you suggest that the typical man do to begin moving into this this life that God has called him to? Yeah, so... He's got to follow that path, right? There's a, there's an ancient path, and, and I think this starts with the local church. So that's one of the ways Better Man is unique. Um, mm. Where most parachurch ministries, the bigger they get, the more church agnostic they become. Um, we're mm. the opposite. The bigger Better Man gets, the more dependent upon the local church we are. We believe the local church is the vehicle God's ordained to win the world. It is the bride of Christ. And uh, so we're all about equipping the local church. Uh, and we do that basically by giving them a kind of ready-made men's ministry. But the men's ministry, the reason why I say that is not to sell better, man. The men's ministry follows this path. And it's, it's the path that every young man needs to be on. And so first and foremost, that path starts with an invitation from an older man to come on this journey. Right. It's an invitation from a more um, physically, emotionally, spiritually mature man or group of men to say, hey, come follow us as we follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right. And it doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you have a, an MDiv. Right. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. All it means is that in life you've messed up six or seven times and you're going to help the guy 
behind you only mess up four or five times. You just have to be one step ahead. That's all mm-hmm. that that means, mm-hmm. right? So, so you've got these these older men, um, and and when I say older, that's you know that's a general term. That could be a that could be a twenty five year old walking along with an eighteen year old, right? Or it could be a fifty year old walking with a forty year old, right? It just mm-hmm. it all depends. But you've got this this invitation from these older men saying, "Hey, come on this journey." Once once you step onto the journey, that's where you give them a clear, defined pathway. This is what it means to be God's man, hmm. right? Clarity is key here. If you ever have to choose between charisma and clarity, choose clarity, <laughs> right? So it's it's a pathway. Better man happens to be that pathway. Four W's. Courageously mm-hmm. follow God's word, love, serve, protect God's woman, excel at God's work, better God's world. Come through this path with us. Come on this journey with us. And then the third thing is, and this is where it starts to get good, you begin to challenge that young man or challenge that man to put to death childhood thinking and relating. Hmm. That's what Paul said. When I became a man, I started thinking and acting like a man. Right. And those older men get to show that younger man, this is what it means to think and act like a man. So so the challenge is to now put to death childhood thinking. Right. And then you encourage this season of transformation in a safe space. It's a space where where that young man can fail without condemnation. Right. I tell I tell pastors all the time, we're not going to guilt and shame men back into the church. We're not. Mm -hmm. I'm done calling men out unless you're willing to call them up to something more, something better. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's this safe space where, hey, let's start to practice the principles of God's man. And listen, you're going to fail. We all fail. I mean, I I lead one of the largest men's ministry in the world and I fail every day. (laughs) Right. But it's this safe space of trying and failing, trying and failing, sharpening, Mm -hmm. becoming more equipped. And then, and, and then lastly, the last step is once that young man um, has it, right, he has what it takes to be God's man, there's, there's recognition and then there's blessing by that community of the men that, hey, you have what it takes to go be God's man, so go be God's man. Yeah. And, and, and it's a simple journey. And, and maybe that journey takes nine months. Maybe it takes nine years, right? Um, um, again, it's all different, but, but it's an intentional invitation to come walk with me um, as we learn together what it means to be God's man. Yeah, I mean, all five of those points are, are so, like you said, they're very clarifying. They, they make sense, you know, when you step back and you just think about, you know, what you're actually describing there. So it's really the intentionality to begin to practice that in our communities, in our churches. A quick question for you on that fifth one, the the commissioning or the launch, is that, do you guys tend to do that on an individual basis where the older community of men are involved in this younger person's life, this younger man's life, and, and they almost like laying on of hands where you would say, hey, we see that we see your progress, we see how the Lord's been at work at your life, and we want to to um, commission you in this way. How does I guess how does that tend to look in your experience? Yeah, so I've seen it. I've seen it done um, corporately, and mm-hmm. I've also seen it done privately. You know, more times than not, mm-hmm. it's a it's a private gathering. <laughs> 
it'll be two or three older, mature, you know, sometimes we call them sages, you know, wiser yeah. men. Yeah. And they've been walking with this younger man. So, um, you know, I've done it around a steak dinner mm-hmm. um, uh, where we go out. Uh, we bless him very much, just like laying hands on him. But we're going to speak a blessing over his life. So each man will say something encouraging. They'll say what they love about him, you know, what they've been encouraged by. And then we usually give a token of some sort. We'll um, we'll give a pocket knife, you know, just to express his utility. Like God made you uh, to create and subdue and rule the world. You know, here's a pocket mm-hmm. knife, you know, use this mm-hmm. um, um, as you go out and you do that in the world. Um, yeah. And I've also seen it done corporately, right? I've seen entire churches lead men through better man through the journey mm-hmm. and then on a Sunday morning bring the men up and and basically ordain them right to go out and be and re- and really more churches should do this yeah. it, it it shouldn't just be the um you know the missionaries and the future pastors that we're sending out man we mm-hmm. should be acknowledging you know I was with I won't say the name of the church because I don't want to dis- disparage anyone, but I was with a very, very prominent national church leader who has a very large church in America. And and we were meeting and he said, hey, he said, Chris, we don't know what to do with our men. They have no men's ministry at the church, you know, and, and which is not uncommon. Right. And and um, so I was talking through some of this with him. He was like, no, man, I need something right now I can do with our men right now. And I said, hey, I said, how many how many greeters and ushers do you have at your church? And he said, we probably have 300, you know, on any given weekend. And I said, hey, one thing you can do right now, train every one of those greeters and ushers when they see a man walking with his family across the parking lot, bringing them to church. Just pull that man aside and say, hey, brother, I see you and I love what you do. Be encouraged. I said, just start encouraging the men. Hmm. Just start telling them, good job, great job. Oh, you're leading your family today? Well done. I said, no more dad jokes. No more beating up on men from the pulpit. I said, just start encouraging men, and that right there would be a huge win. Hmm. Right? And, and, and he was like, all right. And, and they did it, man. They trained every door greeter. When a dad comes walking in with his kid, they'll grab that dad by the arm and say, hey, man, I see you leading your family. Keep leading your family, right? Because we just got to start encouraging men again. Everything in this world is out to get the man. It's beating up on them. It's telling them they're useless. It's telling them they're no good, right? The church should not perpetuate that. Like the church right. has to become a safe haven for men again. And we do that by building men up, not tearing them down. Oh, man, there's so much I want to respond to there. But um, I think all I'll say at, at this point is this is not to say that men need to be coddled. This, this is to say the contribution that God has for men to make is irreplaceable. It can only be made by godly men. And so to try to do the work of God without giving attention to raising up godly men is an effort in futility. And all I would say is let's see the value of God's role for men in our churches, in our communities, and then let's challenge them. Let's let's call them up. Like you said, it's it's not to say that, hey, we just need to um, tailor everything to the men. It's to say, let's purposely try to call this next generation to set aside ch- uh, childish things, wrong thinking, and to begin living out 
the life that God has called us to. Brother, I really appreciate you coming on. I know we've had uh, folks may or may not, depending on how this edit goes, folks may or may not be able to tell that we've actually recorded three podcasts this morning. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you for your patience. Um, I love it. And I, I hope we can continue the conversation in the future, maybe have you on again. Um, but any final words that you would want to leave with our listeners and our viewers today? Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, just, uh, if you're a man listening to this, you know, my encouragement to you would be, uh, my encouragement to you would be, you know, you have purpose, you have purpose in this world and it's, and it's not, it's not worldly purpose. It's not what social media and, and television and the movies are telling you, but like, it's a God designed purpose. And this world functions best when you're in it doing what God has called you to do. So, so get to a Bible preaching church, go to a church that values men, find older men that, that you can put your hand up and say, Hey, um, I, I want to be like Jesus. Could you help me with that? Right. Yeah. Um, uh, and then just go after it. Take Satan. I, I'll say this. If, if Satan cannot get you to sin, the next best thing is to get you to settle. Mm. And there's a lot of men that have settled for a portion of the full inheritance God has for them. When God has offered the full inheritance. And as a man, my encouragement would be, go get your full inheritance. Brother, that is so good. Uh, I hope it's an encouragement. We're going to have links to Better Man any other resources that you think would be helpful for our listeners. So check those out in the show notes or in the description of this video. Harp, thanks so much for being with us and we'll do it again soon. Thanks, Andrew. See you, man.